Hi, this is Ian Weissman. I'm an ACP Operations Associate as well as a member of our Corporate Relations team, and I'm joined here today by Andrea Bryant, U.S. Navy veteran and member of our U.S. Navy Reserves. Andrea, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Uh, yes, thank you for the introduction, Ian. My name is Andrea Bryant, and I'm an Operations Associate here at ACP, and I've been here for a little over a year, and I also did four years of active duty in the Navy driving security boats. I uh, got out for a few years while I got my bachelor's degree, and then uh, I've been back in the reserves for about the last three and a half years. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today, Andrea, and for handling uh, all the questions I'm going to pepper you with this morning. I guess just starting off, you, you mentioned it there, but uh, your own Navy background, if you don't mind talking me through uh, your experiences in the Navy as well as now in the reserves. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I joined uh, the Navy at 23. Uh, so a little bit older than uh, a lot of my other peers going off to boot camp, I suppose. And uh, believe it or not, I went in initially on uh, an explosive ordnance disposal contract. Turns out my eyesight's not that good. Uh, and so I ended up uh, as a master at arms. So that's kind of more of a security forces, law enforcement aspect of, uh, of the Navy there. Wouldn't have exactly been my first choice, but uh, I ended up driving security boats my entire time uh, on active duty. So uh, I was stationed in uh, Bangor, Washington at the Trident Nuclear Submarine Base. And uh, as you can probably imagine, enough said about that. And then I was out altogether for about three years while I went back to school. And then right as I was about to graduate, prior service recruiter called me and asked if I wanted to do reserves. And I said, yes. And about a year and a half ago, moved out here to New York and have been drilling out of Long Island ever since. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you, you started a little late into the Navy, as you said, compared to some others. Why did you decide to, to join the U.S. Navy? So I had I was born and raised in California and uh, my parents had retired to Idaho. And so I decided that I was going to uh, move to Idaho to be closer to them and go back to school. And I did that for about a year and just really didn't know what I wanted to do college-wise, and that's, you know, to me, seemed like the next logical step in creating a successful career. So since I didn't really want to keep throwing money down the drain with schooling that I wasn't really excelling at anyway, you know, I'd always kind of wanted to join the military. My my dad was, uh, was in, the, in the Army. Uh, grandfather was in the Navy. Great aunt was in the Navy, so on and so forth. So, uh, might as well check that out. And uh, worst case scenario, I do four years, but uh, at least I'll have some experience and money for college, which did end up coming in handy uh, after I got off active duty. And now you found yourself in the nonprofit sphere today, uh, but did you have any other or still do long-term career goals uh, that you know you discovered after your time in the service or now in the reserves? When I first got out of the Navy, I thought, okay, I want to do uh, medical laboratory science. I uh, went to school for that for about a year, uh, ended up changing my major to history, uh, which, as I'm sure you probably know, um, not a lot of employment opportunity unless you want to teach history. Uh, and I learned with that degree, I probably should not be teaching children. <laughs> but uh, at least I had that four-year degree, and that still opens up a lot of doors for you. And, you know, I'm not in debt up to my eyeballs. Thank you, GI Bill. But uh, moving back here to New York, I, I wanted to find uh, work that I would enjoy and, and find fulfilling, and uh, ACP has certainly uh, been that for me. More long-term, even if it doesn't end up being a career for me, uh, I've been looking more towards uh, media as uh, something I want to learn more about uh, and see the different options available to me. Got into a mentorship here back in March with Tim from, uh, from ESPN, which, of course, is owned by Disney. 
he's really given me some great insight as to the schooling, training, uh, everything else that would be necessary to uh, to get me on that track and uh, help me more, learn more about it. Oh, fantastic. And so you mentioned there, um, you know, how did you and Tim kick things off? How'd that first conversation go? Yeah, definitely the introductory phone call is really that. I kind of almost walked into it with a more utilitarian approach of these are my goals, this is what I want to do. Tim was great in that it was kind of more, well, let's kind of get to know each other too. And every call contains that. So, uh, you know, I get an update on uh, what he's up to with his with his kids, uh, playing hockey and gymnastics and, uh, and where he's at. Because, of course, working at ESPN, the wide world of sports, there's got to be seasons to everything and get a sense of, you know, when he's busy and what he's working on. And I realize I am kind of uh, a comedy savant uh, with a lot of this stuff. People will ask me who my favorite comedians are, and I'll throw out Pat Dixon and nobody knows who I'm talking about. But Tim uh, will take an interest in something like that. And, you know, we talked about storyboarding, uh, and that was uh, a really great way to just get my ideas down and try and come up with uh, more of a clear vision once you start plotting of course, that way it, it gets a lot clearer, a lot easier to work towards. Uh, the other big thing that he suggested was, uh, of course, I can learn a lot of my skills from YouTube videos, but he actually suggested more of an online learning format with uh, lynda.com. You do have to pay for that, but that's been useful. And if you pay for something, you're going to actually follow through on it. Uh, that's why they don't have things like free gym memberships. If I'm paying 50 bucks a month, I'm going. Uh, same thing with uh, with this particular resource, and it's much more structured, guided, and not a lot of flair as you might find on YouTube where I need two minutes of information and I'm going to have to get it from a 13-minute video. Uh, it's much more condensed and relevant. And a lot of it there, you know, if I were to put myself in the mind of someone applying for a mentorship, I feel like everything you just said there is a pretty convincing uh, argument, a pretty convincing pitch as to why I should get involved with a mentor. If you had to stress a, a particular aspect or a particular mindset, to, for someone to uh, have as they take full advantage of a mentor's expertise, what would you feel that would be? Biggest thing I would say is to be forthcoming and and honest it, because you may come into a mentorship not really knowing what you want to do, uh, but that's the point of having a mentor is to help you figure out and clarify your career goals um, because even if they don't have direct experience with the thing that you're looking to do, uh, they have a network, they've seen it before, they have some some amount of experience, and it's going to be more than what you have. And uh, they're going to be able to help you plot a course of how to get there and and help you decide if that's something you want to do or, or what your career path is going to ultimately look like. Now, with your experience as a protege um, and, and what sounds like a significant amount of time in your mentorship you know, spent working together with Tim, uh, do you have any advice that you give to a fellow veteran, not just when they start, though that's you know very, very important, but also to carry through on the objectives that they outline with their mentor? Biggest thing I would say is to be forthcoming and and honest it, because you may come into a mentorship not really knowing what you want to do, uh, but that's the point of having a mentor is to help you figure out and clarify your career goals because even if they don't have direct experience with the thing that you're looking to do, they have a network, they've seen it before, they have some some amount of experience, and it's going to be more than what you have. Um, and uh, they're going to be able to help you plot a course of how to get there and and help you decide if that's something you want to do or, or what your career path is going to ultimately look like. And really with a, a military mentality, you're you're worried about next steps. What What's everything going to be like? And the transition for me, I, I don't think it was anything like the gravity of it really sunk in until I was in it. So 
my advice to transitioning veterans would be to take this transition seriously and against your probably ingrained culture at this point, ask for help. Take advantage of all the programs that are available to you. I realized that the transition class I had the Navy was like trying to drink out of a fire hose. There was so much information where I just said, I'm not going to worry about resume writing. Uh, that's going to be so far down the road. I'm going back to school first, so I'll try and pay attention to that. But even the GI Bill stuff, a bunch of it went over my head. So try and get as much information out of everything as you can and have points of contact to reach out for resources. I don't know what it is where we're just so encouraged for self-reliance and not asking for help. Uh, civilian world's a little bit different than that, and it's totally okay to ask for help and just get yourself that much more prepared for the next step. You, there really is no such thing as over-preparation, uh, so set yourself up for success. Flipping it around, what advice would you give to our mentors who might be doing this for the first time, particularly those that haven't served themselves? Yeah, uh, that's something that comes up uh, occasionally on intakes where someone will mention that they've never served, and that's completely fine. Uh, really, uh, a lot of the protégés, that, the veteran protégés that we have coming on board, when I talk to them, I'll, we always ask specifically, do you want a former service mentor, someone who's also served? And a lot of people, it's not that big of a deal, or they really want a civilian, strictly a civilian, because that's the perspective that they're really driving for. Uh, some people have a veteran preference, and that's fine. And sometimes, I don't want to say we... We talk them down, but we find someone who's a great match, but they're not former service. And once they have that introductory phone call, that veteran learns, yeah, that that former service stuff is not that big of a deal. And hopefully I have a network where I can talk to other people about the transition. And when it comes to career development, I'm talking to my mentor. You know, something like ACP AdvisorNet, that's where that can come in. If you're going back to school, hopefully there's a a veteran support center at your university or VFW or whatever it may be. So you have other people to talk to with regards to the transition. That's what you're coming to ACP for. Career development, career development, career development. If there's other aspects that you want to discuss and explore, again, build your network up that way. And uh, ACP can always offer one-off calls (laughs) to to other people who have made the transition and network and uh, storyboard ideas with that too. Earlier, you alluded to something that I think is a major hesitation for a lot of protégés when it comes to applying to ACP, uh, and that's that's just the feeling that they're going to be biting off more than they can chew. How have you balanced other responsibilities in your life alongside your ACP mentorship? It really is a matter of time management. So by the time I signed up for this mentorship, I had already worked at ACP for about six six months, I would say. So I had a pretty good handle of what my schedule was going to look like, what my free time was going to look like at that point. Uh, so that I could plan for it. Same can be said for the reserves. I knew how that was going to play into uh, my weekends and how to balance that with ACP. So I had some predictability going in. But yeah, again, it really comes down to just a lot of planning ahead and also taking into consideration uh, what's going to work for my mentor too. So just because I might have some predictable available time doesn't mean that's going to coincide with his available predictable time. So uh, there's there's some compromise there where a lot of times uh, phone calls work best for him, let's say, at 4 p.m. on a Friday. Well, of course, we have another hour of work, so maybe I'm staying a little I'll, – I'll complete that phone call at 4 p.m., but I'll be staying a little bit later to make up for that time that I was on the phone with him. And then still getting up at, you know, 6, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, depending on what I'm up to, still getting up at a decent hour on a Saturday or a Sunday – 
getting my chores out of the way, getting my competencies out of the way, my work, all that legwork in between conversations just to make sure that I'm on track. And then also not being afraid to admit when, hey, maybe you fall short and that's that's okay. A lot of us do. Keep your mentor in the loop. I let Tim know, hey, uh, I'm not as far ahead as I as I would like. This is where I'm at. Here you go. And, you know, mentors are going to be very understanding. They're not ex- going to expect you to be perfect, especially, you know, in my case, I have no formal training with this. I'm learning from YouTube. I'm learning from my mistakes. Uh, so they don't expect you to be an expert in any of this stuff. Just be just be honest and, and be improving. Now, in your own experience, have you felt there are any major differences between someone who's interested in a media-centric mentorship and then some other sectors such as finance or many of our other popular uh, mentorships? I definitely think that there can be. Uh, so observing some other mentorships, you know, if it's something like finance or anyone who's in school for their MBA, getting an internship, it's a very traditional established track of where they're going. Now, media is a little bit different in that, yes, there can definitely be an educational track that you can go on. But there's a lot of ways, there's more than one way to skin a cat, I guess you might say. Uh, there's there's different areas where you might want to go to, and there's different ways to get there. And you might spark to something completely different, and the door isn't necessarily closed to you. So if you're really trying to go, let's say, for investment banking and finance, that is a very well-defined track. And uh, if you're working towards that, you're probably not going to be going uh, into, you know, building ETFs and mutual funds or I don't know. I don't know. Obviously don't know anything about finance, <laughs> but but media, if just because you go down uh, the podcasting route or something like that, I know a guy who worked for Fox News. He was a cameraman. He carried cameras all the time. Then he broke his leg. And it was like, well, he can't carry a camera. It's physically impossible. And it was for for several years as he recovered. So he got trained on microphones. And he ended up being the microphone guy for the next decade and a half. So there's, you know, a lot of cross-training and things like that, different competencies, skills that you can pick up. And if you spark to that, then you can start heading in that direction. So I feel like there's a little more freedom, a little more flair to the media side of the house. And and you had a lot of success, but anything you'd do differently? Um, great question. Uh, <laughs> I imagine the next great question will be, what do you like best about me? Um, <laughs> you know, it's, you're always going to wish that you knew the things that you know now earlier. Everybody's going to run into that. Uh, so I wish I would have broken off smaller bites. So I kind of undertook uh, immediately a, a rather difficult project and that's been very difficult to break that down into constituent parts that I want to work on and, and put it together. You know, take on smaller projects would be a good good tip. Make sure that you're you're good with those and uh, and then you can take on something larger and, and grow from there. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Um, anything that you feel might have been overlooked or maybe just not talked about enough when it comes to uh, either a mentorship or the transition itself? Really setting expectations is the biggest thing. So knowing that you can email someone at any time, you can text uh, during these hours, uh, call during these hours, then that gives you a better idea of, of when your mentor is available and just how how things are structured. If you know the structure, uh, you can work the system. You're a veteran. I believe in you. Well, thank you, Andrea, so much for, for your time and being so uh, candid here. Uh, I know that we work together regularly, but it's so nice to be able to, to gain this insight because we just don't always have the opportunity to learn this much about uh, your own experiences. Uh, so again, thank you so much. Um, do you want coffee or lunch? Something like that?
let's do coffee.